Welcome to episode 33 of Coaching Origins. I'm Jeff Bidwell. Today we talk with East Tennessee State head coach Desmond Oliver. The native of Buffalo, New York, started his coaching career with Niagara back in 1994. After nine stops as an assistant and 27 years, Oliver finally got his first Division I head coaching job at East Tennessee State in 2021. Here's Coaching Origins with Desmond Oliver. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, graduate from college, going to get your master's at, at Buffalo State and Turner Carroll High School. How does how does that come up as uh, an opportunity for you to coach the JV and help out on the varsity? Well, I mean, one, I went to uh, Turner Carroll for one year. So I played one year high school basketball. Um, you know, I grew up on the east side of Buffalo. And, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, in flux about who I was going to become as a person. And, um, you know, trying to figure it out early on. I, I started out going to McKinley High School my freshman, sophomore year. I tried out for the, for the team my freshman year and got cut at McKinley. Played JV my freshman year. My sophomore year, I think I played JV again for a few games. You know, back when JV, you know, they didn't really have a season. You played a couple games. And McKinley was – it was challenging back then. So I transferred to Turner my third year. Um, and I had really worked and grown and improved a lot. And I thought I would have a chance to start at Turner and have a really good season. Um, got injured, missed the whole season, transferred again and, and went to the uh, DeSales in Lockport. I think John Beeline was a DeSales graduate as well and played at DeSales, had a really good year and everything kind of changed. And so I graduated college. Um, unlike a lot of college athletes, I wasn't thinking about playing pro ball or trying to become a pro. My whole thing was trying to get my PhD. And so I wanted to get all A's and B's in college and I, I, I did well academically. I had schools kind of recruit me for grad school. Buff State provided the best package, um, free tuition and a stipend. And I stayed home with mom, you know, and, and I got my master's. But while I was getting my master's, I was coaching, you know, part-time at Turner with a guy named Fadri Ansari. Fadri Ansari is now the head coach for Buffalo State's men's team. Back then, I think he ran some program on campus, some minority program on campus, and he coached at Turner. And Turner had a really successful state championship record with kids that came from my neighborhood. And so I was kind of giving back. I got my basketball fix, and I was also in school getting my master's at the same time. Did you like the coaching? Well, you know what? One, I just love ball, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it was different. When you're 23, 24 years old, you know, it ain't so much coaching. It's just being around the guys. Yeah. I'm playing the guys one-on-one before practice, after practice. I'm around ball. I coached the, the JV team, which didn't have a lot of talent, but, it, you know, it was funny to try to get those guys to play hard. So I don't know if, if I saw myself as a coach then. I just have fun being around basketball. So what got you from there to then taking an assistance job at Niagara where you're like, okay, maybe this so is the path I, I want to go to? So my goal was to get my PhD and, you know, it's hard to go straight through from undergrad, spent five years undergrad. It's hard to do five years undergrad and then four more years of grad. Right. Right. And get the PhD. And so right after getting my master's, I was a little burned out and I just didn't want to go to school that next year. And I, I knew I, I wanted to finish. So I thought volunteer somewhere for one year, you know, D1 was always kind of a curiosity of mine. And then go back and get the PhD. So Jack Armstrong had a job available. It paid $3,000. <clears> and I thought, why not? You know, Jack had off-campus housing. He had a meal plan. 
And it was, it was, it was, you know, it got me out of my neighborhood. My neighborhood was tough. It was a project, you know, it was an apartment style. We call it the projects type environment, a lot of things going on. And I felt like I could leave that environment, get out of there, be on a college campus for a year, have fun, be around basketball, you know, coach D1 for a year, and then go back to school and maybe be on somebody's campus getting my PhD. And so Jack hired me. And a role that Jack, and I, I had no idea how much I was being taken advantage of <laughs> back then. Because, you know, Jack hired me and he gave me the role. Though, so I was like, I was the player development coach, strength coach, academic coach, video coach, mentor, um, on-campus recruiter. So now though, that's six response, that's six jobs that we would pay six, you know, salaries for people here in college. And I had all six for $3,000. And I did it. I love being on the guys. Um, I had fun. And again, I wasn't even trying to get a job. I was just, just having fun and trying to impact this program and winning. That year ended and I was gonna go back to school and Jack offered me a full-time job to coach and, and paid me good money. And I, I, I had to do it. It's turned into 30 years of coaching division one basketball. What'd you do that first year? What else did you do that first year for money? Well, I mean, obviously you're getting to live in the dorms and so on, but 3000 doesn't. <laughs> it was tough. So my rent was a hundred bucks a month plus free utilities. And so that was very inexpensive. I had a meal plan. So I had meals. My mom lived, you know, 30 minutes away in Buffalo. So I, I could always get home and get a free meal there. And when I was an undergrad playing division two at Dominican, I worked like I drove vans, I, I, I bust tables. Um, I worked in delis. I had, you know, ten, twelve thousand dollars in the bank as a as a graduating senior from high from 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 college. And so I spent I had that money at my disposal on top of the three grand that Jack paid me on top of for Christmas. He gave me a couple thousand for Christmas. Maybe he paid me well for camp. And so I say three thousand turned into five or six thousand. It made you made it. I made Somehow. it. You made it. You made it. <laughs> well, three years there, and then you end up at Texas A and M. How did that? Uh, how did that happen? Getting out of the Northeast and getting all the way down to Texas. So you know, I was um, you know working for Jack in year two and three. I just wanted to get out and meet people and just network a little bit. So I was going to all these different coaching functions, and I ran into F Frank Hayes and Ricky Stokes were best friends. I think Ricky was at Virginia. Frank was at AM. Frank was going to leave AM, I think. And either, either Frank was going to Wake Forest or Texas. And, you know, Frank wanted to have a name for Tony Baroni um, so that his departure wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be perceived negatively. Right. <laughs> so Frank, Frank and I met. I think Frank, you know, Frank liked me a lot as a young, a, 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 you know, young up-and-coming coach. And so Frank gave my name to Tony. And he said, you know what, Tony, I'm leaving to take this job, but Here's a young guy who I met that's pretty impressive. You got to talk to him. So Tony gave me a call one day out of the blue. We had several over the phone interviews. I, I hadn't met him yet. That went really well. Flew me down for interview. I interviewed. I became the youngest coach at that time, you know, in the Big 12. I was the youngest full-time coach in the Big 12. And I was there for one year. Tony, you know, got let go. I think it was mid-year. He went in and tried to fight for a contract extension. And they didn't give it to him. And I, I think it was either, you know, either give me an extension or fire me. And he ended up getting fired. And, and I'll say this, it was, a, it was a great year for me. Tony was a tremendous coach. He was a great basketball coach. I, I learned so much ball. 
Um, I did scouting reports. You know, I recruited, I mentored, you know, high level young players and my confidence grew. I knew from there I could coach for a long time anywhere in the country. Did you feel like you were out of your comfort zone, though, a little bit just in terms of, hey, I'm really just getting started. I just had a couple of years at Niagara, but now I'm I'm having to recruit in the Big 12. I mean, it's obviously just it's a different animal down there. I didn't. I was just naive like that. Like I, I just feel like no matter what level player you're recruiting, it's the same. Like if you're recruiting Division three, Division two, low one, mid one, the reality is you've got to have people skills. You got to have, have the ability to sit down with people and make a connection, no matter what level you're coaching at. And I've always felt that way. So I've coached at every level, high school, you know, low division one in the Ivy League. The job has never changed. It was no different coaching for Cornell, you know, recruiting for Cornell than it was in the SEC, except in the SEC, the level of player was going to be different, but the process wasn't, you know, like, like getting to know that the, the young person wasn't to find out who was involved you know, in a circle never changed. And so I never felt that pressure. When when Coach Baroni gets let go, and again, just as a young guy, you you haven't even been there a full year yet. Um, what what is your anxiety about just the situation and, and sort of the uncertainty about your future at that point? Well, just understand the, the, the mindset of a of a of a twenty. I guess I was twenty seven, twenty eight year old kid. You know, I had come from a housing project in Buffalo, where my mother, a single parent mother was, you know, I think the most money she ever made was $18,000. And so she she took care of me, you know, for years, we lived off of less than 20 grand. So now I'm in the big 12 and I'm, I'm being paid a really good salary. They're paying for everything. I got a meal plan. I got a gas card. Um, I'm staying in a two bedroom, nice apartment at the time for 300 bucks a month. I was saving money. And so I was making it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't concerned with that. Cause I just, I, I felt like the money I had made in one year was more than she can make in four years. Right. So in my mind, I was already ahead of the game and I had so much confidence that me being a, 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 a you know, young, you know, urban African-American kid with a master's degree, uh, I had always kind of, you know, conducted my business the right way. People spoke highly about me. I knew I was going to get a job somewhere else at the division one level and have a chance to, to work someplace for a good coach. And I did. Scott Thompson hired me at Cornell. What relationship did we have there uh, that, that you end up kind of zigzagging from Northeast of Texas and then end up back at Cornell? You know what? That's a good question. I don't think I had any. Um, I didn't know. I, I've been blessed where I've had the ability. I mean, not- when you leave, when the Texas A&M thing happens, I mean, is this, is this a, you're calling everybody you know, just just calling in favors, uh, just how, how? No. I didn't know many guys back then. I was yeah. 27 years old. I played Division II ball. You know, we got let go like in, in January, go through the season. I go to Final Four, and um, I'm talking to guys and trying to figure out who needs one. I, I feel like this, when you're leaving the SEC or the Big 12 as a young assistant, your resume is different. It's like being an NBA guy getting cut from a, an NBA team trying to get to Europe. Your your stock is higher because you're looked upon as being, you know, more talented than, than maybe what you are because you're coming from a level that most guys aspire to get to. So I thought that that would help me. And so I, I don't know how it happened. Marquette, the head coach of Marquette was Mike Dean at the time. You know, Mike, I think Mike Dean interviewed me at Marquette. 
I didn't get the job there, but my name was starting to circle in the business as being a really young, talented up and comer. And so a lot of guys call and talk about, you know, their positions. And somehow I just arrived at Cornell. Um, I hit off a scout over the phone. Uh, Cornell was in Ithaca, which is only, I think, a couple hours outside of Buffalo. So getting back and forth, you know, to Buffalo and visit my family was was ideal. It just kind of happened. It just kind of worked out somehow. A couple of years there, and then you you head to St. Bonaventure um, with Jim Barron. One year there, then he takes the job uh, at Rhode Island, and you go with him. What what was that relationship like with him? That uh, and how. How did it build where after even just one year, he felt comfortable enough to take you on to the to the next stop? Sure. Well, so when I was an undergrad um, in, in college, I worked a lot of camps. You know, one, I wanted to make money over the summer, but I wanted to play basketball as well. And so camps were the best way to make a couple hundred bucks a week, be on the court, play every night against great counselors. I worked five-star camp. I worked every college camp. You could work Niagara, Kinesis, St. Bonaventure. So I met Jim working at St. Bonaventure camp, I believe, one year. Um, and, and then my players who were at – I had two players at Turner Care that were getting recruited, Malik Campbell and somebody else. I brought Malik Campbell down to several games at St. Bonaventure. And then Rob Lanier, who's my best friend, big brother, best man at my wedding, I was the best man at his wedding. Rob Lanier had worked for Jim and Jack for several years. So I knew Jack through Rob and Jim through Rob. And so when they were trying to find people – you know, Rob threw my name in the hat. If he had five names to talk to, I was one of them. Was it hard to leave? I mean, it's when you have that relationship, and then Georgia comes knocking, and now you got a chance, I guess, to go back to the SEC. I mean, this, I guess this is a as good as things might have been with with Coach Barron. The SEC is knocking at that point. You got to make the move. So we're at St. Bonaventure. Jim came off of that year where he had a great team. He lost to Kentucky in the tournament. He lost a lot of key players. I think Bonaventure, my first year, my only year there, was picked, I think, dead last in the league or towards the bottom. And we had a hell of a year. Won 18 games, made the NIT. Jim gets Rhode Island. Real quick story. He gets the job, and he was coming into a situation where the team was on probation. The staff that was leaving there had broke a lot of rules. And so Jim couldn't hire our, our entire staff until, like, like, later. Like, you know, most coaches get the job on Monday – start hiring guys Tuesday, Wednesday. He could only hire me. And he had to wait a few months because the budget wasn't right. And so he says to me, he says, Des, um, I'm, I'm bringing you with me. He said, we have to sign seven guys here in the spring. And so I can't have you sign your contract, though, until I get these other guys off the books. He said, so for about a month or two, you have to live out of your truck and go to all these events and go find seven players. He says, do you want the job? And so I had to say yes. You can't say I don't know and call you. I'll call you back. So I said yes. Yeah. And I called Rob Lanier. I said, Rob, <laughs> Jim just called me. He offered me a job. I said, This is crazy. He can't hire the staff for a while. But he he offered me the job, but he said, You got to sign seven guys. He can't recruit because he got to keep these donors who are about to pull out. He got to spend time with these guys and re-recruit the donors. And so I'm the only guy, you know, going into these home visits and and in, in, in these AAU tournaments. I got signed seven guys. If I mess this up, my career's over. And so I said, I said, what do you think? And Rob said, man, he said, Des, you couldn't have a better chance to, to, to change your career. He said, if you mess it up, you're in trouble. <laughs> he said, but what if you don't? If you sign the right guys that Jim can coach at a high level, you'll make yourself into one of the best assistant coaches in America. 
And we got lucky. We signed some really good players. Dustin Elanga, DeWan Robinson. We beat Pitt and Ben Holland, who was number one in the country, for DeWan Robinson at Rhode Island. We signed a, you know, probably the best recruiting class in the A-10 that year. And I was blessed to be the point man on all those guys. And so year one, DeWan was a prop and set out that year, didn't qualify. We only won eight games. But I knew DeWan was special. In year two, you know, with DeWan being a redshirt freshman, we were the, the most improved team in America, 21, I think 2021 wins. Year three, NIT again, 2021 wins. And so my stock was different. I remember, you know, Jim signing a 10-year extension after year two. I remember, you know, a guy named Abu Bakr, who was a president's assistant, saying to me, well, you know what, Des, you could either stay here with Jim for the next 10 years and be the highest paid assistant coach in the A-10 or take this job at Georgia and go to the SEC. Everyone I talked to said, if you got a chance to be a coach in the SEC at, at your age, Des, you got to do that. Because now, if you go to Georgia and you help change their program, you'll be a head coach in four or five years. And so based on the business part of it, I didn't want to leave. Met my wife at Rhode Island. My son had just been born five days, probably to be taking a job at Georgia. But it was a career move that, that you'd be crazy not to take. And so I leave crying. I'm, I'm walking to the office crying and, you know, players are crying, but I had to do it. And I learned so much in the SEC. Did you know Dennis Felton at all ahead of time? Another guy I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know Dennis at all. Pete Herman was the, the associate head coach at Georgia. Pete's a Buffalo guy. If you know Buffalo, you know, again, you have an appreciation for the guys that make it out of the East side. Right. So Pete was following Rob Lanier's career my career, Carlin Hartman's career. And so Pete's watching, I guess, my success. And so Pete was telling Dennis, you know, Dez, man, you got to hire Dez. I didn't even know Pete. And so I get a phone call from Pete Herman. He's like, Dez, in two days, Coach Felt is going to give you a call about this job. If he offers it to you, take it. It's a really good job. It's a great place to live. I'm a Buffalo guy, Buffalo Bills fan. You know, love to have you here. And, and, and Dennis called. Um, came down for the interview, had a great interview, and the rest is history. I guess the most uh, – I said, I don't know if this is infamous. If it's infamous, uh, however you want to look at it, the 2008 SEC tournament, uh, you guys were able to win and get to the NCAA tournament. But, of course, the tornado hits the Georgia Dome. You've got to go uh, just play that marathon jammed into two days at Georgia Tech to try to win. W what memories do you have from that uh, – just from that wild couple of days? Well, so one, I'll say this to you. So Dennis Felton is one of the best X and O, you know, coaches I have ever been around. Brilliant coach. Um, and so we're at Georgia and it was one of the worst power five teams in the country. We come in there, they didn't have anything. It was bad. Same thing on probation. The same coach that left yes. Rhode Island was also at Georgia. And so we had our work to do. And so we get there year one and we you know, built it at that, that, that time with freshmen, not, you know, not transfers or, or, or JUCO guys. And so we got better and better and better. And so we had a, a team that was picked to finish pretty high in the SEC. And we had the, the worst luck, ACL tears, ton of injuries, guys get suspended. So a team that should have won the league ended up finishing in last place in the league. And so Dennis Felton goes into that tournament that last year there, or that second to last year there, probably about to get fired, right? I think I think our team was four and twelve in the league. 
we struggled to win games with a depleted roster. It was by far the best coaching job I have ever been associated with. With my own personal scouts, Mike Jones is on that same staff. Mike's the head coach at UNC, um, you know, UNC uh, G. Uh, Pete Herman, Dennis Felton. We coached our butts off. We scouted our butts off. When we played zone, you know, we, we had a seven-man rotation. We started a walk-on at the two in Corey Butler. And somehow we got lucky. Tennessee got knocked out early. Probably couldn't beat Tennessee. We somehow beat Kentucky um, and played two games in one day. They had never beaten Kentucky in the history of the, of the SEC tournament, Georgia, ever. They've never beaten them. We knock off a really good Kentucky team, and we just got our, our rhythm going, and we got lucky, and guys made shots, and we coached, and somehow won the championship. I mean, to this day, there's like a – I guess the SEC has a – I guess it's called Miracle 3 or something. Yep that they filmed this on. It, it's one of the best basketball championship moments of my career. And so it's hard to win championships. And so I'm proud to say that we hung two banners. We hung a banner for winning the SEC tournament championship at Georgia. And we made the dance that year. It had a chance to be the Xavier team that was eighth in the country. And I'll say the officiating in that game couldn't have been any worse because there's no way in hell. We had like a 16 point lead that just, you know, deteriorated within minutes and they came back and beat us. <laughs> so great moments, and you know. Well, a year later, uh, Coach Felton gets let go. And now this is, you know, you're 11 years further into your career than when Coach Baroni got let go at Texas A&M. Um, on one hand, again, you're at an SEC school. You've got a resume now that's got some teeth to it. Uh, but you're also smarter to the business. Uh, than, than you were maybe naively 11 years earlier. Are you more, are you more comfortable with the uncomfortable part of, of what's next? You end up going home uh, to Canisius there for a year, but how, how did that, uh, how that process work for you? And just kind of the mindset of just dealing with, with just the change. Sure. Well, so after, after making that run and winning the SEC championship, I just thought that they would extend Dennis because the adversity he worked through at, at Georgia to win that championship was incredible. He showed he could definitely coach. And I was under the impression that he was going to get a contract extension for at least a couple more years. And so when he got fired mid-year that next year, none of us were prepared for it. And I'm not going to lie to you. That was one of the most challenging times of my coaching life because, one, my wife um, was working in real estate at the time when the market crashed. That was a year where all the banks, you know, I mean, we our country went into a major recession. Yep. And so normally there'd be a whole bunch, a whole lot of jobs opening up. Right. So now coaches like myself that come from, you know, a, a championship run, you have opportunities to jump on board somewhere else at that level. I think um, uh, um, uh, <clears throat> Chris, uh, Chris Mack, Sean Miller leaves Xavier for Arizona. Chris Mack gets the Xavier job and Chris Mack and I are talking about me being on that staff. We interview, I interview, interview goes great. I'm going to get that job, I thought. Pat Kelsey's at Wake Forest. Pat played at Xavier. Pat and, and, and Chris are, are buds. Pat decides he wants to come back to his home and, and go to Xavier, takes my spot. And so, there, you know, there just weren't many opportunities for jobs. And so Georgia was tough. My wife was pregnant with our, with our second child. You know, real, her, her real estate job cost more money to be an agent than what she made. And so on one salary, we, we struggled. My credit got crushed. 
had to short sell my house. Uh, it was it was devastating. And I go to Kenesha's for a fraction of what I made at, at Georgia. The blessing was my mom was really sick. <clears throat> she had lupus at the time. She's battling lupus. And so I thought, I said, you know what? You know, the, the Lord is working for us because quite frankly, he must need me to be at the house here, you know, back in Buffalo and spend time with her, have her spend time with her grandkids and my wife. My wife is from Toronto. Toronto's, you know, 40, an hour and a half from, from Buffalo. And so it just made sense, I think, for that one year to go back to Buffalo. And so I go back there and, and, and Tom Parada gave me a chance to really coach. He gave me his offense. My, my impact in Tom's program from a basketball perspective was the, the greatest it, it ever was for any coach I worked for. Like Tom really allowed me to have a major impact in coaching. And, and I, I honestly, I walked away after leaving Kinesis knowing I could be a head coach in Division One and be a good head coach. And so one year there, program got a little better. We improved a few games, learned a lot. And I had a chance of going to uh, uh, Seton Hall with Kevin Willard or with Alan Major at Charlotte. I love the South. And I just didn't want to go, I just didn't want to go back to, you know, like stay in the state, you know, like, like be in New Jersey, New York. My family, I thought, was built to be in the South at that time more so than being up north. So I, I went to Charlotte instead. You'd met Alan Major, I guess, as I read, 10 years earlier at Xavier, and then that relationship bears fruit for you when he becomes the head coach there uh, at Charlotte. Um, in terms of your, I guess, the geographics, and you you bounced around a little bit, just, I guess, in terms of a... Uh, an overarching uh, recruiting thought process in your mind, is it more important to be uh, sort of an expert in, in one region, you know, your North, you know, Buffalo guy, just sort of that Northeast, you got that locked down. Um, and then especially as you move up in the ranks, is that expertise in that one area uh, a positive for you or are you more, you kind of have to become the master of all trades or jack of all trades, maybe master of none, where you start broadening your recruiting net uh, because you're you're more recruiting on a, uh, you know, when you're at a Tennessee and a Georgia and so on, you're recruiting on a national scale as opposed to maybe you know some of your earlier stops where it was where it was more geographically centered. Well, Cornell, I mean, to be in the Ivy League, it's national recruiting because you just can't find what you what you need to find yeah. locally. It's hard to get kids in school. You know, I always made sure I didn't let myself get marginalized or put in a box. Because if you're in a box, it limits you to your options, right? And so I've never been connected. Like, I played Division II basketball. I didn't play for Coach K in college or, or Rick Barnes or John Calipari. So I couldn't get that phone call from the, the Hall of Fame coach that said, hire Des Oliver. Right. And so I looked at my career like, you know, I was a journeyman in the NBA. If you're a journeyman in the NBA, you can't act like you're some all-star that can make demands on where you want to be. You take what you're given and you make it work. And so my theory was to stay in Division One. I, I just got to work my butt off, um, stay clean, you know, don't break any rules. But I always felt like if I had the same success or could have the same success and find myself a Hall of Fame caliber coach that had some tenure, so to speak, and had more time, like if, if Dennis felt to have more time, he'd have gotten it done and, and, and our staff would have gotten it done in Georgia. He had more time. When I got a chance to go to you know Tennessee with Rick Barnes, 
I knew lightning was going to strike. I, I knew, I said, you know what? It's on. You know, the fact that I, I knew if I could find the right type of kid for him to coach, he was going to get the most out of those guys. And I knew with his track record, Tennessee officials and administrators were going to give him time to get it going. And so that was the break. And listen, if I had gotten that job when I was 30 years old, I'd have been a head coach by 37, 38 years old. That's how it works. Most guys are going to get a shot. And so not saying that mm-hmm. Scott Thompson wasn't a great coach or any or Jack Armstrong, but Rick Barnes had a, had a, a certain pedigree that ADs look at differently. And now when you have a chance to, to get them some good players and, and cultivate those guys and coach them, and you go win and become number one in the country and, and get to a sweet 16, your resume just looks a little bit different. No different than an NBA guy who might be a journeyman that ends up playing for Golden State and you're the eighth man for, for Golden State, your value has increased because you've won championships behind it. Five years at Charlotte, then 2015, you go to Tennessee with Rick Barnes. Uh, I, I read, I believe you said after you were named the head coach there at ETSU that Rick Barnes developed us as head coaches. And even just in recent years, Rob Lanier goes to Georgia State, Michael Schwartz, East Carolina, now you're at, you're at ETSU. What is it? I know there's a component to when you get a power five job as an assistant coach, if you do everything right, and and obviously some cards need to fall right, but it's, you've got a chance to go get a a, a head coaching job somewhere down the line. But what is it specifically that Rick Barnes does that may help his tree uh, bear a little more fruit for you guys to, to be able to go get those jobs? Well, one, I think he's a great evaluator. You know, Rick Barnes is one of the only, you know, power five coaches I've ever met. You know, we had a chance at Tennessee my first year to sign the top 40 guy in the country, in-state guy. Instead, we took Grant Williams because we thought that Grant was better. And Grant wasn't ranked anywhere in the top 200. (laughs) So think about that. Top 40 guy in-state, make a splash in recruiting the fan base to get excited. Rick agreed with me and Rob and and, and saw the value in Grant over a top 40. So – Great evaluator, not afraid to, to take a two-star and, and work with them and find the right system and help that kid become a pro. Uh, on top of that, as an assistant, he just gives you tremendous knowledge. Like, we were in the gym all the time. Player development, watching film within the rules, you know, watching as much film as you can within the rules, on the court as much as you can. And he allowed me to speak to the media, Um like, for example, when I interviewed for, for these jobs prior to ETSU, I had so much footage on YouTube from t- interviews at Tennessee that most ADs said, Des, prior to interviewing you, we already knew who you were because you had so much of your brand building from Tennessee on video. Mm-hmm. But that was Rick Barnes. And so even here now at ETSU, I am trying to follow the same model with my staff, you know, and, and one, sign the right players, find the right staffers that fit. I think fit matters, right? It it matters. And then develop them, let them coach, get out of their way, put in your system, your values, you know, your, your mission and and then, and get out of the way and, you know, and let your players play, let your coaches teach and develop and get confident to become head coaches. After 2021, you interview for Winthrop and obviously ETSU comes into play, but prior to that, at any point in that six-year window there with, with Coach Barnes, did you interview for any other D1 jobs at that point? 
So listen, it, it took me 20, 20 plus years to sit in front of an AD and have him look at me as a head coach. And from the time the bubble closed in the tournament, my last season in Tennessee, I interviewed for Albany, came in second. Interview for Jacksonville, came in second. Interview for uh, um, Austin Pete, thought I had that job. The AD worked for Coach K. I think Coach K made a phone call and said, you're going to hire one of my guys. Yeah. Didn't get that job. Interview for Winthrop, came in second. And it's funny because, you know, you know, I I credit me being here to Doc Sander, even though Doc Sander, you know, didn't hire me. He wasn't the AD. He's just, you know, Doc Sander works, you know, runs Top Connect, you know, which is the old Villa 7, just really connected guy. And so I'm just learning the, 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 the details of what happened. But it sounds like my first interview at Albany, the AD and, and Doc Sander were communicating about what they needed. And I think that Doc felt like, my resume was more Southern based, even though I'm a New Yorker, it made sense to stay south because I spent so many years down South. And I felt like the AD was leaning towards hiring me at Albany, but I think the doc had other plans <laughs> that, that, that doc saw my future in, in the South at Tennessee or went to someplace. And so it's just amazing how this happened. Like, again, I don't know this to be true or not, but I just, I feel like from afar, you know, doc, saw something in me and told the president about it. He told our AD at the time, Scott Carter, about it. And they always felt like if there was ever an opening here at ETSU, you know, I'd be one of the first names they talked to. Um, and it, it's funny, I'm interviewing that Winthrop. And I, I thought I had that job. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, I knew the ADs there. I was so connected. I am so connected. I felt like in, in the Charlotte area, I thought, it, I thought it just made the most sense to do it. And so... My buddies, I had a pickup basketball game at Charlotte. Every Sunday, I had the best AAU coaches, the most connected coaches, you know, in the city, in the region, in my gym. I had AAU coaches, high school coaches, former pros, former players, doctors, lawyers. We had some of the best connections you could have in a city in the gym. And so those guys wanted me to get Winthrop. And so we had a we had a, you know, I guess like a you know, honorary pickup game that Wednesday night after my interview and, and, and play pickup. And they're like, Des, we are so excited to have you back in the area. They're thinking I'm going to get Winthrop. Well, my phone, I'm driving to a buddy's house to stay overnight um, and drive back to Tennessee in the morning. And my phone rings and it's Doc Sander. I guess talking about, you want to talk about Tennessee, East Tennessee State. And so I'm so tired and fatigued from interviewing and I'm thinking I'm going to get Winthrop. And so I'm not, I'm not going to talk. I'm, I'm done talking to, to people. And so I'm driving. And, you know, it's like the movie Animal House, you know, where the character, he has a he has these two personalities talking to him. And one's a bad, a bad personality saying, well, you know, do this. And the other one's a, a good one saying, don't do this. I kind of had that moment where I had one, you know, person over here saying, yeah, man, get Winthrop. That, that's your job. Other one said, "Are you crazy? E ETSU's calling you. Well, you know, one of the top mid-major programs in the country every year. They're in Tennessee. You know, they're folks that you know. Who are you, being from the east side of Buffalo, to not take this phone call and call this guy back and at least find out more about it? So I pull off the road. I call Doc back, and Doc says, "Can you interview tomorrow morning?" And of course, I said, 
for sure. <laughs> and, you know, I, I interview and honestly, mm. you know, my mind was, I was thinking about Winthrop. Mm. And when I interviewed with Doc Sander and Scott, I was, I was really intrigued. And then the same night, the president and I, you know, zoomed and he blew me away. The president is a basketball guy. Our kids are the same age. They're in the same grade. My oldest son and his son kind of knew each other, blew me away. And so here's how, how top prospects in basketball or players get caught up. You may think your top choice is going to Tennessee or ETSU. And then all of a sudden the right coaching staff calls you and they blow you away. And now you hang up thinking, well, I thought I wanted to go there. I just changed my mind. So just like that, I went from wanting to win the job to praying that ETSU offered me the job. And they did. So how, how crazy is that for, you know, being, you know, a 24-hour window? And so my wife, I walk into the room to interview saying, you know, I'm, I'm ETSU wants to interview. I'm like, all right, whatever. I walk out after the first one, I'm, I said, Annette, you know, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued. These guys mean business. President interviews and Zooms. I walk out and I'm dizzy. And she says, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I hope that Winthrop doesn't call me. And the ETSU does. I want the ETSU job. And she says, wow, like, you're really strange. <laughs> you were just talking for the last two months about the Winthrop job. What are, you, what are you talking about? And again, the rest is history. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> uh, there's two streets to getting a job, obviously. You've got to want it. They've got to want you. Uh, and in terms of personal fit, obviously, ETSU came open sort of due to, I guess, non-basketball reasons, just kind of that political hotbed, and, and it was open. Was there any... Did the situation there that you were going into, did it give you any pause? Obviously, you're just trying to get that D1 job. It's in your neck of the woods. There's a lot of positives. But was there any pause with just the, the environment of the reason the last coach left that, that maybe had you pumped the brakes at all? Or was it just, let's go? No, because I, I was in the state. Like I was here in Tennessee. You know what I mean? So – it's almost like, and, and here's here's an example I'll give you without going into details because again, I'm you know we moved past all that sure. a year ago, but it's like I grew up on the east side of Buffalo, and people would talk about the east side like it's the worst place on earth, and I think back to how you know we had cookouts and barbecues and we had a we had a real sense of community on the east side that was outstanding, and it was love and and you know. You know, my mom's neighbors were like uncles and aunts and, and they, you know, they watched over me. And so if you talk bad about the East Side, I knew the East Side was nothing like people were saying. I, I lived there. And so I knew what was going on at ETSU. I understood what dynamic was happening. And sometimes the theme that you've been sold as to why things are happening isn't always the truth. And so I knew that it wasn't as toxic as people thought it was. But I will say this, a challenge was staffing wise, I was worried that I would have a hard time hiring the staff I wanted to hire. And I, I did, I mean, quite frankly, you know, I didn't know Manny Robinson, I, I, I hired Manny and I, I prided myself on not hiring guys I didn't know, but I hired Manny because I, I just couldn't get a couple of guys who I wanted to hire 
were caught up in the, you know, in the cloud that was over the program. And so that part of it was a challenge because I knew that it wasn't about that. Like I knew we had a tremendous president that was a great supporter of the program. I knew Doc Sander was a great supporter of the program. I knew Scott Carter. All the, you know, Scott was at Tennessee. He worked at UT. You know, so I knew folks that knew Scott. And so it was hard to communicate that to folks that weren't at that, that weren't in Tennessee. And so, but you know, but no, there was never there was never ever any hesitation. But I spent a lot of time explaining myself, you know, as to why. And, and that was unfortunate. I felt like here's a guy, again, I played, I played one year of high school basketball. I played division two ball at Dominican College. I grew up in poverty. I have always been someone that wants to help people. I absolutely have a passion for the game of basketball. I'm nobody's pawn. If you know me, no one's just going to run me. Like I'm not that type of person. I've always made pretty good decisions. I'm not perfect, but I, I, for the most part, right? And so I was, I was really taken back by people that knew me, that were questioning it. But I, you know, I love, I love people enough where I, I had to explain myself, and, and I, I did a lot of explaining those six months. And now it's amazing. We've gotten past it, and the amount of support I'm getting here, I have donors who want to step up and support our program in a, you know, in a large way. Um, I've had some job openings here as of late, you know, some, some, some staffers that have gotten better jobs and moved on and that the, the all, people want this job and want to work here. And so all that's behind us. We're excited. I have a hell of a roster. I think we have enough pieces to, to, to be a lot better than last year's team was and it makes some magic happen, you know, in, in year number two for this program. After 27 years, you finally, and being bridesmaid more than once, you finally got the call that, that the job is yours. What was that moment like for you? It was great, but, you know, I've never looked at it. So, again, it just puts up in this mindset. When you grow up in poverty, like I was at Tennessee making a lot of money, doing what I love. Like, I never went to work for 27 years. I've never gone to work and treated, you know, my job like it was a job. Like, I'm at work right now. This ain't a job. This is, I, I love, listen, I would do this for free, right? If the market value didn't say <laughs> that I needed to make what I'm making right now. I love what I do for a living. I love helping young people. I love giving back. And so I've never felt like I said, if I was a career assistant coach at Tennessee for Rick Barnes, I'd have been okay with that because I was doing something I love. It wasn't really work. Um, it was prestigious. I was I'm part of history. No one's beaten Kentucky more than Coach Barnes and our staff did. I mean, coming into it, they couldn't say that. No one's had more NBA players maybe than Kentucky than Tennessee has the last few years. Prior to doing that, they couldn't say that. And so if that was going to be my career, that's a pretty good career. You know, that's a pretty good career. And now to have a chance to impact East, you know, ETSU and hang a few more banners and, and help young people go get jobs and find career jobs and turn young young men into grown men. And there's nothing more special than that opportunity. Last question before I let you get out of here. Uh, your journey was a long one to ultimately uh, slide over those 18 inches and, and into that head coaching, uh, into that head coaching spot. What piece of advice could you give to that 20 something that's starting their journey and, and someday wants to be able to run their own division one program? Well, I, well, I was telling my staff this, I tell them just every time we get a chance to meet, um, is just do your job at a high level. You can't worry about that. Like players come into to D1 and worry about wanting to be NBA guys and get drafted. You can't be a pro 
until you've had success, high level of, you know, of success at this level. If if that's the pressure, I don't want that pressure. Like, I, you know, I'm not sitting here right now worried about being a Hall of Fame coach. I'm not, right? Because it's, it, it don't make any sense to. My job is to win the day, win tomorrow, when the season starts, win our first game, and then by the end of the day, hopefully have enough wins, you know, under the under my belt where we've had a great season. And so take all that pressure off. Like just do a great job. Just enjoy the situation that you're that you're currently in. Make that head coach as successful as you can by doing your role. And if, if all four or five coaches are doing that, something special is gonna happen. That's my advice. Thanks to Coach Oliver for coming on. East Tennessee State will return to Southern Conference action Sunday when they travel to Furman. A new episode of Coaching Origins comes out every Friday morning. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And while you're there, leave us a comment or a five-star review if you think we've earned it. Thanks for listening to Coaching Origins.